All right, welcome back to Hellspan. I know it's been a while, but I'm finally back. This is part one of True Age by Dr. Morgan Levine. Morgan Levine is an assistant professor of pathology at the Yale University School of Medicine. Her research focuses on the science of biological aging, specifically using the bioinformatics to quantify the aging process and test how lifestyle and pharmaceutical interventions alter the rate of aging. She begins the book with a chapter called Beyond Wrinkles, the link between health and aging. So Morgan Levine is reminiscing about going to her 38th high school reunion. She says that some people are familiar while others are hardly recognizable. And we've all been there, right? So you go 20 years without seeing someone and you see them again and you're like, oh, you really, you really let yourself go or wow, you haven't aged a bit. So we've all kind of had that experience where you go a long time without seeing someone and then you can really tell who takes care of themselves. And there's this funny meme floating around the internet right now about Tom Cruise and Katie McGillis comparing their photos in 1986 when Top Gun came out versus their photos now. And as you can see, Tom Cruise really takes care of himself while the lady, uh, Kate, Kelly McGillis, really doesn't take care of herself and kind of let herself go. So she's kind of talking about how, you know, when she, when she comes to her high school reunion, some people are like, hey, it's me. And then she doesn't recognize them because they've just aged so much. While others are like, oh, you haven't really changed a bit over the past, you know, three decades. And we kind of move on to talk about the differences between biological and chronological age. So this is a important feature of this book is distinguishing between biological aging and chronological aging. While aging is universal, the continuous march of time doesn't intrude on us equally. The fleeting years are harsher for some, bringing with them disease, impairment, and loss. For others, the passing of time is only evidenced by the smooth creases at the corner of their eyes or the indelible remnants of past smiles. So what's the explanation? We all age at different rates and in different ways. While our chronological age may increase at a constant and universal rate, signified by the number of candles on our birthday cake, the same cannot be said for our biological age, or what she likes to call our true age. And this is the age that we need to pay better attention to, our biological age. She goes into how she became interested in aging. So she kind of tells her backstory of how she got involved in biological aging and, and pharmaceuticals and certain lifestyle interventions to help slow the rate of biological aging. Her father had her at the age of 54, which is pretty late. And ever since she was young, she was always consumed with the fear that her father might not be around to see her graduate from high school or college, walk her down the aisle at her wedding, or meet her grandchildren, or meet his grandchildren. Much to her relief, her father was able to be there for all those things, including seeing her earn her PhD and being offered a dream job at, as a professor at Yale uh, School of Medicine. In fact, her father remained in fairly good health for most of his life, up until losing the, his, some battle with stomach cancer at the age of 86, just two days before she moved from LA to New Haven to start her new position at Yale. She often found herself really lying in bed and contemplating what she would give to really have an extra 10, 5, or even one more good year with him. She imagined this is a sentiment shared by most people, right? We, we've all had loved ones who died of a heart attack or had cancer or diabetes and Alzheimer's, and they're just gone too soon. 
These surprising losses feel beyond our control. When her dad received his cancer diagnosis, she felt completely hopeless. Yes, there was some, we can turn to medical professors and, and hope that some treatment can prolong, you know, the love, love, um, the loved one's life. Um, but we fail to recognize that this is a process that has put in the situation in motion. And it's really been unfolding for, you know, really decades, perhaps even since birth. This is because all of these diseases are caused by biological aging. So the next couple sentences I'm going to say are the thesis of this book, True Age. It is not chronological time itself that renders each of us more susceptible to disease, but rather the biological changes taking place among the molecules and cells in our body that serve as the foundation from which diseases arise. Simply put, biological aging is the single greatest risk factor for disease and death. So these are the sentences that sum up this book completely. It is the biological age that we need to focus on, not necessarily the chronological age. So moving forward, she gives the example of the COVID pandemic and how just important the biological aging is. So in the United States, it was reported that eight out of the 10 COVID deaths were in adults 65 years or older. While the exact etiology of why severe cases tend to cluster among older individuals is unknown, it is clearly related to changes that occur as a function of our biological aging process. The aging process itself impairs our abilities, our body's ability to protect against external threats. We lose our resilience, and this is further evidenced by a pattern of increased COVID-19 mortality among individuals with certain pre-existing conditions, things like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, chronic lung disease, chronic kidney disease, and liver disease, suggesting that it's just, it isn't just chronological age that determines susceptibility to COVID-19, but rather also our biological aging. So we, when COVID was happening, we all knew who was getting hit the worst. It was the elderly. It was these people in retirement homes. It was these people with cardiovascular disease and other pre-existing conditions that were dying from COVID. If you were a young, healthy, you know, kept Take, took care of yourself, you have resilience to fight off COVID-19 and other infections, and you have a lesser chance of dying from it. So she used this COVID pandemic example as to how certain diseases are more threatening to us because we have, we, our biological age is older. And given all, that we, all the ways in which aging can steal our health or worse your life, it's no wonder we resist it. But what if growing old doesn't have to be defined by disease diagnosis, prescription medications, hospital visits, and certain assistive, assistive uh, devices? It is possible to grow old in generally good health without losing the parts of our identity, which we hold most sacred. Unlike chronological aging, which ticks upward in a predictable repetition, science and evolution have shown us that biological aging, aging is malleable. It can be made to tick faster or slower in direct response to your genetics, but more important, also your behaviors. So in the later episodes, we're going to go into great detail about what you can do specifically to increase or to slow down the biological clock. Again, I haven't really discussed the differences between chronological aging and biological aging, but I'm, gonna, I'm positive that we're going to get into that uh, very soon. Chronological aging is very easy to understand. Uh, in the words of Kamala Harris, 
chronological aging is simply just the passage of time, right? From the moment you came out the womb, how many years, months, days, hours, minutes, seconds you've been outside the womb, that's, your, that's the chronological age. But the biological age is much more complex. It is our true age, and I'm going to be discussing a little bit later about how we define biological age and ways to measure it. But for now, I'm going to move forward into uh, the next section that we have here. So the next section is like biological aging. So we're going to get into it. Her definition of aging is a quote-unquote loss of specificity. So what does she mean by this? She believes that there is a specific state or a small number of states a body can have that is optimal for health. Achieving and maintaining this state, however, requires a lot of work on the part of the body. It is not an easy task. However, uh, uh, through evolution, our bodies have learned how to efficiently and reliably, reliably reach these states of, of, of perfection and health. Development is extremely precise and has programmed steps to ensure that it is successful for the majority of us. So again, what is she talking about? So she's, she's stating that it is sort of this state that we, we've grown up kind of perfectly. Our, our bodies have been programmed to achieve a, a state of health. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, the problem is there is no evolutionary pressure to optimize maintenance of this state for longer than what we currently observe. Com- uh, completely preventing aging is not evolutionary ad- advantageous. The benefit does not justify the energy cost. So there is no evolutionary benefit really to putting in a lot of work to maintain a body past when it's you know, able to still reproduce or continued survival to protect your offspring. So those are the only two reasons you really want to survive is to pass on your offspring and then protect your offspring. Those are the only evolutionary reasons you would stay alive. But after that happens, you know, we're not meant to live past that. Once an individual has exhausted their fitness capacity, fitness just relates to the number of offspring that you have, there is no cost to allowing nature to really just take its course. So this, this is the problem. We are wired to live a certain age, but we're not really wired to live past that age after we have given off our, you know, after we have offspring. So that's the dilemma that we're dealing with. Now, what happens with aging? So there's a lot of debate going on currently about these different theories about why we age. Some people say that aging is from, we have to look at the hallmarks of aging, which I'll get into for just a second. But most scientists agree that aging likely begins at the level of levels of molecules and then kind of propagates upwards, eventually becoming evident to the individual once it reaches the tissue slash organ and then organismal level. So even though there's a lot of debate, what's sort of agreed upon is that the aging process really begins at the molecular level and then eventually works up to our cells, to the tissue, to organs, eventually organ systems, and then the organism, like the whole body. And when it comes to the various... So she gives the example of like proteins. Let's take a protein, for example. We have thousands of proteins in our body and each of them kind of serve their own functions. And when it comes to the various proteins in our body, their ability to perform any of these given tasks is dictated by their structure and shape. We've all heard the saying, structure determines function, or form implies function. And unfortunately, one thing that happens as we age is that structures become compromised. 
And if our structure becomes compromised, our function becomes compromised. So proteins with errors in their sequencing are folded incorrectly, inhi inhi inhibiting their ability to perform their specific tasks. And these modifications are called like post-translational modifications. So think back to the central dogma of DNA, D of uh, biology. DNA goes to RNA, goes to protein. So DNA to RNA, transcription. RNA to proteins, translation. So there's these post-translational modifications that can alter the structure and function of the protein that's being made. With aging, the excess, of, the excess presence of things like reactive oxygen species, sugars, fatty acids, all this stuff can attach to and modify different proteins. I've talked a lot about, a lot about advanced glycation end products. So advanced glycation is when you see this in diabetes, so you have glucose molecules attaching to different proteins and it's making them sticky, it's causing them to malfunction. And these are this is why people develop the nephropathy, neuropathy, and retinopathy in diabetes. In some cases, these misfolded or modified proteins will link or clump together, forming a large larger structure that can damage nearby tissues or cells and are difficult to break down and clear. And if, you live, if you've listened to my podcast before, you know the example that I'm going to give. The example is the neurodegenerative disorders. So the Alzheimer's, the Parkinson's, you know, prion disease, these all come from misfolding of proteins. And of course, you know, we have the accumulation of the beta amyloid and accumulation of the hyperphosphorylated tau. These eventually cause a lot of oxidative stress and general cognitive decline in people with Alzheimer's disease and also, you know, Parkinson's. And again, this is one of the hallmarks of aging. So this is the idea of loss of proteostasis. This is what we call, you know, this is one of the aspects of aging is loss of proteostasis where we have a misfolding of proteins, they end up clumping together, and then we can't clear it out. It's one of the hallmarks of aging. Now, beyond proteins, another age-related molecular alteration that she has spent a lot of time on is something called the epigenetics. So I've talked about epigenetics, epigenetics before, but to recap, epigenetics does not refer to changes in your DNA sequence, but rather the addition or subtraction of various chemical markers to the DNA structure or the proteins that DNA is wrapped around. So the, she's talking about the histones. So those chemical markers are things like methylations and acetylations. These are chemical marks that will bind to the DNA and bind to the histones and either open them up or close them. If they're closed, they can't really be read. And if they're open, they're open to getting transcribed and translated. So this is epigenetics in a nutshell. The epigenetic patterns in cells are impacted by aging. Things are incorrectly written or erased and all of a sudden we have the wrong recipe our cells end up generating too much of one protein, not enough of another, or have an entirely different recipe altogether. While the direct cause of these epigenetic changes is not really known, one hypothesis is that they reflect random errors. As cells make, their, make new versions of themselves, they copy both their genome, DNA sequence, and their epigenome, so that the new cell is a perfect copy of the original. It is thought that perhaps not all epigenetic marks are copied over correctly, and new evidence is servicing to support this idea. So to summarize quickly, our cells replicate. They're supposed to make a copy, a direct copy of itself, but unfortunately, 
we have these errors in replication, and specifically these epigenetic changes, and it's impairing our ability to read the DNA correctly. And this is actually David Sinclair's information theory of aging, is that we have the information there, it's just not being read correctly. That's If you want to go into detail about David Sinclair's information theory of aging, I recommend checking out his book, Lifespan. I did a podcast on that as well, which you can check out. Uh, in fact, her lab, Dr. Morgan Levine's lab, has been able to show that by simply letting cells divide in a dish, we can observe the same epigenetic changes that we see in people's or animals' bodies with aging. As cells divide, their epigenome becomes less and less like the original quote-unquote blueprint. Eventually, these changes will influence what proteins are synthesized, and in some cases could even affect the production of important factors like tumor suppressor genes. So if a tumor suppressor gene is supposed to be replicated, you know, think about like RB or P53 or TSC, some of these tumor suppressor genes, if they're not replicated correctly and there's an error, they can't function properly. And then that's when cancer happens. It comes from these genetic mutations and these tumor suppressor genes are not doing their job. And this is potentially cancerous. While many of the epigenetic changes we observe with aging may be due to random errors or bad luck, another possibility is that some of these changes represent the cell's response to a failing system. So it may not be the cell, but really the failing system of the, around the cells. Due to changing environments around them, the breakdown of the structural proteins that house cells, signals from their distressed neighbors, and the accumulation of toxic byproducts, cells may change their behavior as part of the program stress response. While Morgan is still trying to understand why these changes occur, an important observation they've made is that individuals whose cells appear to have undergone more epigenetic changes are at more immediate risk of various diseases. So more epigenetic changes, more immediate risk of diseases. And a book about aging would not be complete without talking about Leonard Hayflick and Paul Moorhead. So I've mentioned their names before. Hayflick and Moorhead showed that cells in a dish will have a limit on how many times they could divide. And this eventually became known as the Hayflick limit. A cell can only really divide, divide about 40 to 60 times. Not long after Hayflick and Moorhead's discovery, it was shown that the likely explanation for this limit was a phenomenon in which a DNA sequence becomes shorter with every cell division. So when a cell divides, they become shorter and shorter just by a few base, base pairs every single time it replicates. And specifically, the trailing ends of the chromosomes called the telomeres cannot be copied fully due to how the replication machinery is configured. Telomeres are the end caps of your DNA. David Sinclair often refers to them as the shoelace caps. So every time a cell divides, a little bit is left off the end, and telomeres are often alluded to as like these protective plastic caps on the ends of our shoelaces. Despite the Hayflick limit, our bodies do have the mechanism to guard against these telomere attrition, which by the way is another hallmark of aging. In a lab at UC Berkeley in 1984, there was a professor named Elizabeth Blackburn. Her and a graduate student named Dr. Carol Greider, who now teaches at Johns Hopkins, discovered the protein telomerase. What telomerase does is adds base pairs back to the end of one of the strands of DNA so that the original strand can be copied in its entirety. 
Thus, telomerase is essential for counteracting the threat of telomere shortening and preventing the cell from realizing its hafic limit. Initially, this was really viewed as a potential key to solving aging. But what is, what is the problem with too much telomerase activity? Obviously, it's going to be cancer. If a cell continues to divide nonstop, this is you know, one of the hallmarks of cancer. Exactly, you know, telomerase activity is what enables cancer cells to continue to divide indefinitely, making them really immortal. Therefore, it is believed that artificially increasing telomerase activity in cells that, ha that have already acquired many of the modifications that I talked about and mutations that accumulate with aging would inadvertently be causing, be causing cancer. So it, it was a good idea. Our, tel our telomeres are getting shorter and shorter and our DNA is, is shrinking and this potentially could be you know, why we age. But you know, it was a good thought. But unfortunately, if we have too much telomerase activity, it's going to lead to cancer. So it, it was just a thought, but you know, luckily our bodies have these have evolved a fail-safe mechanism for preventing altered cells from becoming cancerous. If a cell has acquired DNA damage or other changes that make it prone to transforming it into cancer, a program can be enacted that essentially halts the cell's progression. So instead of morphing into a cancer cell, it becomes a senescent cell. I talked about senescent cells before. Senescent cells are these cells that are quiescent. They kind of just sit there. And as I mentioned, they sit there, but they're also wreaking havoc on our body. And this is why they're called zombie cells, because they aren't dead, but they also aren't all there. So David Sinclair refers to senescent cells as zombie cells, because even though they're technically dead and not replicating anymore, they are still functioning. And if you've listened to my earlier podcast, you know exactly what senescent cells do. Senescent cells chronically activate pro-inflammatory genes leading to prolonged widespread and inflammation. So these cells secrete those interleukins and TNF and they, they wreak havoc on the environment and they're, they're not good. When we're younger, cellular death and the transition to senescence is not really a big deal because our body can replace them with you know, stem cells. So Stem cell exhaustion is another hallmark of aging. Stem cells are these undifferentiated cells that can be transformed into various organs, you know, from like muscle to, to bone marrow, liver, you know, and so on. And in the aging process, we observe a decline in the number of available stem cells, which in turn contributes to an impaired, an impaired ability to really replace lost or damaged cells in our tissues. So stem cells, she, she writes here that stem cells themselves can also acquire some of the damaging molecular changes described previously, causing them to become dysfunctional. So we have these stem cells that are dysfunctional. They are exhausted. They, we don't produce as much stem cells as we, as we did when we were younger. And she moves on to the next section, which is called natural selection in the cellular world. And the difference between natural selection when it comes to our own species versus our cells. Unlike natural selection in our species, our cells compete just as different individuals within a species do. The ones that create more copies of themselves are the victors, while those that die off can no longer make copies and have less, less influence really shaping the generation of cells to come. But what happens when something that increases a cell's fitness 
is detrimental to the individual in which it resides. Of course, this is cancer. Cancer is a perfect example of how it really favors natural selection, right? Cancer, they, they replicate very fast. They take over niches in the body and they really monopolize resources. I go into the more detail about cancer and the cancer code if you want to check that out, but cancer is perfect for, it's really selected for natural selection because it's so good at replicating. They replicate so fast. They can metastasize. They can use up resources like, you know, um, you know the Warburg effect. And when we think about aging, it is not merely, it doesn't really come down to the robustness of each of the cells, but rather how well the system of cells and mo- uh, molecules work together and how that impacts the organism as a whole. So it's not really just a cell, but it's the entire environment, the cells, the extracellular matrix, how, how cells work in the environment. And as cells begin to malfunction or die off, we see changes across large groups of cells, which eventually manifest as damage to a, you know, a tissue or, or at the organ level. In some ways, this is really akin to a failing society. So she does a great job of, you know, it's, it's a, beautiful, a beautiful example of how she compares failing societies to cells that begin to die off. Many of the things that have been implicated in the collapse of societies parallel biology and aging. These include overpopulation, breakdown of avenues for acquiring resources, and environmental degradation. As she kind of discussed, the environments and infrastructure of our cellular communities are hugely compromised by the onset of age. And I mentioned already damaged and misfolded proteins, they come to they clump together and impair cellular function. The structural proteins like the the ones that make up the extracellular matrix that house our cells, they begin to break down. Stressed or senescent cells contribute to the inflamed environment that can damage neighboring cells. So it's really a whole host of things that's that's going on. The entire environment, the entire society is breaking down. Not just the cell, but the the structural protein around the cells, the inflammation that's going on from senescent cells. It's all kind of accumulating together to cause this biological aging. In addition to the toxic environment that I kind of discussed, there's also a shortage of important resources. And so what's the resource we're talking about? It's energy. So as we age, our metabolism becomes less efficient at producing the energy we need to carry out our jobs. This, of course, is the mitochondrial dysfunction, which again is a another hallmark of aging. Our mitochondria the number and function tend to de- decline as we age. And this, again, has been implicated in the aging process. So we, we're running out of resources because our mitochondria is not functioning properly. And one peculiar thing that researchers have noticed is that cells that once had specific identities and roles in young tissue tend to lose them as tissues age. So again, this kind of harkens back to the loss of specificity. On the other hand, the cells shift away from specificity could also be from the deteriorating society around them. So remember, it might not just be the cells, but it might be the environment around the cells that's causing the aging. As neighboring cells die, senescence or malfunction, the remaining cells respond to signals being sent out by their fallen comrades. So let's say, for example, you see you have a cell and a cell next to that cell is like, Okay, we're being bombarded with inflammation and, and, and cancer, and then it kind of sends a signal to the healthy cell that something is going on. 
Just to finish off this last point, aging as a driver of disease. Up until now, I talked a lot about cancer, but remember that there are more there are multiple diseases. In fact, most chronic diseases are associated with aging. She puts here that in short, aging of molecules and cells is the main cause of most chronic diseases. Let's take cardiovascular disease for example. As arteries age, they become stiffer as the structural proteins in the extracellular matrix begin to degrade. Arteries also accumulate oxidized fatty plaques that line their walls. This, of course, is called atherosclerosis. And this, again, is all caused from the aging process. How about diabetes? Diabetes, we know that as we get older, no matter how much we exercise, no matter how good our diet is, our insulin sensitivity just tends to decrease over time. It's part of the aging process. And then she also talks about Alzheimer's, which is very, you know, it's, it speaks for itself. Obviously, all the people who get Alzheimer's, they're all 60 or, or greater, unless you have the APOE4 gene. But for the most part, aging, uh, Alzheimer's disease, it is clear that aging process plays a major role. And in fact, recently there has been push, there's really been this like push in aging research to define aging itself as a disease. Aging is not really seen as a disease currently. The goal of this, the goal of pushing aging as a disease and to declare it as something, so the goal is that, she puts here, the goal of this is to declare aging as something that is target or treatable. Most of the criticism cites that aging is natural and that something that happens to every, it happens to everyone, not just a a select few. But in reality, both aging and chronic conditions we easily def- define as diseases are they're really manifestations of like progressive loss of functioning in one or more physiologic systems. So it's one of the same aging, loss of pro- loss of function, and then Alzheimer's, diabetes, heart disease. This is also loss of function. Even if you don't have Alzheimer's disease, Dr. Levine can guarantee you that some level of pathology are present in your brain already. Same goes for heart disease and arterial plaques or precancerous cells. If you're listening to this right now, you have cancer floating around in your body and you also have arter- uh, plaques in your, ar- um, in your body and you also have plaques in your, in your arteries. So this is all going on. It's not manifesting at any, as anything right now, but eventually down the road, it will or it might. So this is the point she's trying to drive home. If we were to define aging as a disease, the same rationale should be applied. Intervening in aging is not going against nature any more than intervening in a disease process. So they're one of the same. What we need, however, is a way to systematically define the thing that we are trying to target. A way to really know whether some intervention was successful or to determine who among us needs to be given treatment. We really need a way to measure age especially our biological age. Chronological age, we can measure. This is just the year that you're born. But we need a way to measure biological age. And in the next section, I'm going to discuss how to measure biological age and also the future of personalized aging. So I'm going to, I'm going to end the podcast here. I really enjoyed this book. I highly recommend this book. She does a great job of tying in all the hallmarks of aging. She, she does it beautifully. She beautifully transitions between one hallmark to another. And 
going back to the thesis that I mentioned earlier, that's if if any if anything that you got out of this uh, podcast, I want you to remember that. Uh, I I want you to remember her thesis of the book, which again, I'll reiterate. So it's not really chronological time that that renders us more susceptible to diseases, but rather biological changes that take place among the molecules and cells in your body. And these serve as the foundation from which diseases arise. And again, one more time, simply put, biological aging is the greatest risk factor for diseases and death. Now, she also did a great job talking about how par- she paralleling the collapse of society with the collapse of our cells. I think uh, she's a brilliant writer and she's, you know, she's really smart. And you know, I'm really enjoying this book. So make sure to tune in for part two so we can discuss how to really measure our biological age and also how we can personalize aging uh, to each individual. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something and I hope you turn in next time.